love struck Romeo. Sing the streets of serenade. Laying everybody low with a love song that he made. Find the street light. Steps out of the shade. Says something like you and me, babe. How about it? Juliet says, Hey, it's Romeo. He nearly gave me a heart attack. He's underneath the window. She's singing, Leila, my boyfriend's back. You shouldn't come around here singing up at people like that. Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Juliet, the dice was low. Hey everyone, welcome to Stephen King Cast, one man abusing on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And this week I am going to discuss not a work by Stephen King, but a work by his son, Joe Hill. Uh, and I'll be specifically speaking about Joe Hill's latest publication, The Fireman. Or The Fireman, excuse me, sorry. Um, and if you had listened to my last review which wasn't that long ago when i reviewed the cell movie i discussed that i was currently reading the fireman and i wasn't planning on uh doing a review of it this time around i said that you know maybe in the future i would do a reread and then after that i would get to uh the the types of reviews that you're all accustomed to so i decided to say screw that and I just wanted to get some of my thoughts out there. So the good is you're going to get a review of The Fireman. The, the bad news is it's just not going to be up to par compared to my other reviews. Because just, just so you know, when I review the, uh, any, any book that, that I read, whether it be one of Stephen King's or Joe Hill's or lately uh, the Jonathan Madbury stuff, you know, I, I, I take very, very detailed notes. And so my longer episodes translate to about, you know, 25 to 30 something pages of notes. I didn't take notes for The Fireman. I just wanted to enjoy it. I just wanted to read it as just a casual reader to just soak in a good book, you know, during the holidays. But, you know, when I was done, I said, you know what? I've got all these thoughts in my head. I'll just spew them out into the world. So... When I get to actually discussing the fireman, it's not going to be, my thoughts are not going to be nearly as organized into categories when, in which I'll discuss the characters in great detail, themes. These things aren't going to be as clear cut and up to my best work. I just want to put that out there, but you're still going to get my thoughts on Joe Hill's latest. So... Um, I am recording this just, what, two days after I recorded my episode on the Cell movie, and as soon as I was done with uh, the, the the review of Cell, I, as soon as I was done and I uploaded it, I said to myself, man, you know what, I, I'd forgotten how much I enjoy making podcasts. So that's another reason why I decided to do this, is because I, I just really enjoy the process. I enjoy putting it out there. Um, so the, it, it's happening now. I'm getting another one out there. Uh, but I do want to stress that I'm still on a quasi break from podcasting in the Stephen King cast. So I just don't want anyone's hopes. I don't want to get anyone hopes up that this means I'm back to a weekly basis. I, I do want to put that out there that I do have some time on my hands right now. I'm completely procrastinating in terms of doing my own writing. And uh, this this is, this is something that I do enjoy, and I have some time, so I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there. Um, audio quality. I, at the beginning of the last episode, I had stated that I didn't have my microphone and my throat was all jacked up. Uh, I think that you can tell during that episode that just the audio quality is not where it, it, I, it usually is. I apologize for I listen to some of it. There's a lot of scratching. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if it was coming from the dogs moving on the pillows. I'm not quite sure. So I'm going to try and keep my... Uh, I don't know, just like when I record, I tend to, you know, maybe like play with my phone or, or pet the dogs or whatever. I, I'm going to try and, and, and keep the background noise to a minimum to avoid any sort of 
really distracting, annoying background noise. If you hear the snorting and the snuffing and the huffing and the puffing, that I can't help because those are just uh, the, the dogs being themselves. Um, my daughter is currently taking a nap, so I have a couple, I have a little bit of time on my hands, so I'll, I'll take advantage of the opportunity and, and get through this review. In the meantime, I want to um, fire off some emails. Um, so we have uh, Sajin who writes, Howdy! I'm a newer listener of the Stephen King cast, and I've very much enjoyed digging into your analysis and dissections of King's works. I'm not sure what your future plans are for the Stephen King cast or how you see yourself composing your post-caught-up podcasts, but I thought I'd shoot you an idea just for fun. Have you ever considered doing an episode about your unpopular Stephen King opinions? You've definitely expressed your ideas about what King works you have found to be over and underrated as they've come up organically, but I think an entire episode breakdown of your opinions would be an engaging and atmospheric delight for the Halloween season. One more thought. I recently heard you talk about how King does child characters very well. I agree, but I've noticed that King's handling of the child characters in some of the stories in The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, namely in Mile 81, is, well, it's different. And for me, it's much less on point than it has been in the past. I don't think this is King's fault, and without trying to be patronizing... I think that's because King is an older writer who's less connected with the flavor of 21st century childhood than he is with the poignancy, warmth, and hauntedness of childhood in the mid to late 20th century. It's simply what he knows and does well, and to be honest, I thought most of the characters, child characters in Bazaar, with the exception, great exception of Bad Little Kid, were just kind of gummy and slightly unnatural. Now that I think about it, I had a similar but less pronounced problem with this with Charlie and Firestarter. Well, that's all I've got. Uh, thank you for very kindly for your analysis. I look forward to going through your entire catalog and keeping an ear out for updates. Um, very best, Sajin. Sajin, uh, thank you for writing in. In terms of um, Stephen King's child characters, I, I this definitely came to mind when you uh, when I had read what was it under the dome i thought some of his child characters were ridiculous they remind me of poochie from from the simpsons and i think that's i think that you're exactly right i think that you know he is an older writer and i think that it, by no fault of his own he is losing touch with just what children talk like and their interests and i don't know i don't want to be one of those you know old men rocking on a rocking on a porch chair poor chair is that a thing uh and just kind of shaking my fist at the future and saying kids today they're they're not like kids of the past but i don't know i mean i i mean with the the advent of of technology uh and and how interwoven it is i i think that there is a distinct difference between um you know how people experience childhood in the past to, to how they experience it now or maybe not maybe it's just i'm hitting that generational divide that has plagued uh, previous generations as well, and that's probably the case. Um, but either way, I, I do believe that that Stephen King's handling is is uh, is not as deft um, of of children characters as it had been in in previous novels, whether it be um, you know the body or it or any of his other or, or um, even the Dark Tower or the Talisman. Um, but you know that remains to be seen. We'll we'll see what he has in store uh, for future future novels. As I'm sure that we will be treated to more stories about children, or at least with children in them. I keep turning back to the the rumors of him working on the Talisman three with Peter Straub, and I can't help but think that this will. And, and this is just my own speculation. There, there's nothing to back this up. Um, but I can't help but think that it's going to involve Jack having a child. I mean, that would make the, the series come full circle. So I imagine that we're going to see um, another story of of him writing about children. And even Abra Stone, or Abra, uh, in, in Doctor Sleep, I thought that she was fine. I thought she was a, a strong character. So maybe it's just, you know, sometimes he swings and he misses. 
uh, Sage, and thank you for writing in. And up next, we have Jessica, who writes, Hello, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I just wanted to send a note to let you know how much I enjoy what you do. I run a Stephen King book club, too, actually, and one of our members turned me on to your podcast. I was a fan from the start. Since then, I've made it a point to listen to your episodes that are specific to the book we're reading that month. I really enjoy your insights, and I get great ideas for discussion points, especially if you've said something I never thought of before or disagree with. Tonight, we'll be discussing Wastelands, and I'm at work listening to this episode. I found myself talking, yes, out loud, at my desk with headphones on, with raised eyebrows getting tossed my way. Back to you, because this book is just so damn awesome, and that end scene with Roland is just so freaking wonderful and exciting that I could not help myself. And this is what I love about King's works. I love that the emotion in the book translates so well that it inspires an emotional reaction in the reader. I love that it inspires people to create podcasts so that fans may share their experiences. I love that we can have a book club and discuss and enjoy the common experience. Thank you so much for your episodes and for your insights. Like I said, your thoughts often bring up talking discussion points, so tonight I'll ask the group what they thought of the wastelands, what the wastelands really were, either a nuclear horrorscape or a glimpse into another world. I had never thought it was another world before listening to your views, so I'm curious now what those in our group will think. I'll also be asking the group about the TikTok man, and I'll share with the group how ironic I think that it is that this man, who is the healthiest of this group, has a nickname related to time in a world where time is disintegrating. It's a thought that I had while listening to you talk about him. I'm not sure what triggered it, but now I have a new perspective. I wish you all the best and look forward to more episodes. Thank you again, Jessica. Um, and then Jessica writes with a PS, uh, and I'll do another explanation on this. I think that everyone is just uh, um, ribbing me at this point, and, and deservedly so. Jessica writes, PS, my favorite theory is that Franny's child is the future Crimson King. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So crazy, it almost makes sense. And I'm half convinced it's true. Smiley face. So yeah, Jessica's definitely giving me a hard time. So for everyone just tuning in, in my episode of The the Stand, one of my episodes of this, The Stand, I did four, I think. Um, in the first part, I believe, I was getting bored with doing the podcast and I decided to just be an ass. So I came up with just a an off-the-cuff, goofy theory. Uh, and it doesn't mean that I think that's true. Like I said, I was just being a, a wise-ass um, in which I posited that uh, Franny's child is going to grow up to be the, uh, the Crimson King. Um, it's not meant to be taken seriously. Uh, I think that some people have taken it seriously. And I just want to, again, uh, state that it's not meant to be taken seriously. <laughs> uh, but Jessica, everything that you have written, I, I really appreciate. And thank you for doing two Stephen King book clubs. That's awesome. I think that's important for people to get together and and discuss books. Um, I, I, just, I, I just don't think that that's something that people do very often anymore. I, I had been part of a book club at one point. It was, it was good for me. It was good for me to just focus. It was just myself and two of my friends, and we just got together, and we just discussed a book that we had agreed on, and it was just it was a good way for us to focus our thoughts and, and give us a, a focus to, to when we, we hung out. So I, I, I think that these things are important. Great insight, great insight on the TikTok man. Um, I think that that is a really good way of of looking at him, one that I had not looked at um, myself. So um, that's definitely some some good uh, insight on your part. Um, and feel free to write in again. And then we have Matthew who writes, "Hey man, first of all, I just want to say that you are absolutely killing it with this podcast. I've been a massive Stephen King fan since I was about five or six when my awesome dad boiled down and verbalized the entire plot of the Eyes of the Dragon to me as a bedtime story one night. So I was so excited to randomly come across the Stephen King cast this past summer. It's been a real treat to hear your thoughts, your breakdowns, and analysis of King's works." And it has even on some occasions inspired me to go back to some of the novels and stories I never particularly cared for upon first reading, trying to see them through your critical eye. I even thoroughly enjoyed listening to your criticisms of novels you yourself aren't particularly fond of that I consider some of my favorites. Uh, Cujo and the Tommyknockers come to mind. I want to insert myself. Um, I... 
I, I just want to go on record stating that I do enjoy the Tommyknockers. I, I think that's so batshit crazy that it is very um, undervalued in, in the eyes of Stephen King's works. I know that the Stephen King himself doesn't like the Tommyknockers. Cujo, if you listen to the review, it's one that I think is too long. I think that it has a B-plot that has no point being in what is supposed to be uh, and what functions as a story of man, or in this case woman, against nature. The serial plot is cartoonish at best, and I just think that it is it is too long for what is otherwise a very thrilling and claustrophobic story. The Tommyknockers gets crapped on a lot. I think that the Tommyknockers is, um, at times, uh, um, I think that it, it caters to Stephen King's worst tendencies of overwriting, even though it's not his longest book. Um, it is definitely thick. Um, I mean, the first 50 pages, you're just there with, with Bobby Anderson and... It's just her alone, not interacting with other characters, uh, and I think that that could get whittled down to maybe five pages. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, this book has so much craziness in it that you, you just have to admire it. The fact that it has a, I mean, the end of the book has a flying, levitating, laser-spewing coke vending machine. I mean, for that kind of lunacy alone, you have to give it credit. And I'm not being facetious here. I, I, I think that. That's not something that you ever really see, and it is funny on one hand, but it's also just fun on another. And I love, I I really like the Tommy Knockers. I really enjoyed rereading the Tommy Knockers. So I know it doesn't get a lot of love, um, but this guy loves it. Um, and um, sorry, uh, Matthew continues to write. The thing that I am most grateful to you and your podcast for is introducing me to Jonathan Madbury and the Pine Deep trilogy. Wow. I was not at all familiar with Madberry, let alone this particular series of his before listening to the first episode on Ghost Road Blues. But now, as I click the order button on Amazon for Bad Moon Rising, saying that I am now on board with this guy and his books would be putting it lightly. And to think I almost brushed past your three Pine Deep episodes with an arrogant scoff, seeing as they were about books with no direct King connection. I am so happy I didn't. So far, with one book left for me to read, these novels have been so insanely intense and, like you mentioned many times throughout your reviews for them, fun that it almost seemed like I'm out of breath from pure exhilaration and suspense as I turn each page. I've since let my dad, also a massive King fan, know about the series, and halfway through Ghost Road Blues, he can already cannot wait to see how it all boils down. If you do end up reading this email on the air, please... Um, let me give your listeners a piece of advice in case they made the same mistake I almost did by not listening to your Pine Deep episodes or not giving Madberry's trilogy a chance. Read these books. They are phenomenal. And while I can't say I've finished the whole series one book to go, I have no doubt that it will more than live up to my expectations the first two have set for me. So once again, thank you for the podcast. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for taking the time to read this. And thank you for deciding to visit that haunted town of Pine Deep this past Halloween. Cheers, Matt. P.S. After finished reading this email, it was hilarious how many times I had subconsciously typed the name of the town as Twin Peaks instead of Pine Deep and had to fix it. Um, Matt, thank you so much for the, the kind words. And thank you for... Um, reading Jonathan Mabberry's Pine Deep Trilogy. That was something that I just really wanted to share with everyone, and I'm glad that you were able to get something out of it. Um, and I hope that others that made the mistake that Matt almost made and didn't listen to the, the, the Pine Deep episodes or didn't go out and buy the Pine Deep books, um, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you guys, you're going to love them. I wouldn't have reviewed them on the Stephen King cast if I didn't think that Stephen King fans would get something out of them. Um, they're great. They're great. So please go out and support Jonathan Madberry because uh, I know that he probably would, would really appreciate it. But as fans of Stephen King, I know that you are going to love these three books. They are fantastic. So if you haven't listened to the reviews, please go out and uh, read the books and listen to the reviews. Uh, or you know what? If you just listen to um, my review of Ghost Road Blues, I guarantee you that I'll be able to sell these books um, to you. So if you listen to the review, if you have some time on your hands, all the other podcasts that you listen to, you, you've 
you know, already listened to, you have a couple minutes on your hands, listen to a review. I guarantee you that my enthusiasm will bleed through. You'll want to read these books. I guarantee it. Um, and you won't be disappointed. All right, guys. Um, so uh, with that out of the way, I am going to review, kind of, um, off the top of my head, the um, the Fireman by uh, Joe Hill. So normally, as you'll know, during these reviews, I tend to start off with the Wikipedia summary. But because the Fireman was released in October, I believe, no one has written a lengthy Wikipedia summary, so I won't be able to um, to read that. So I just want everyone to know from here on out, it's spoilers on for the Fireman. I am going to go into detail about the analysis, not so much as the, the plot of it. Um, I mean, I will touch on the plot as I discuss my analysis of it, but I'm not going to give that that plot breakdown to serve as a basis um, of the analysis the way that I normally do. So just if you haven't read The Fireman, I would strongly recommend that you read The Fireman before you listen to this. So when I heard that Joe Hill was releasing a... A, a thick novel that involves a spore that is causing people to spontaneously combust and there is a mysterious character known as the the fireman i expected not so much a horror novel but i expected a novel that was post-apocalyptic all right i thought that this was going to be joe hill's post-apocalyptic story in the vein of and my mind immediately went there i'm thinking of the stand I'm thinking of Swan Song, and I'm thinking about these types of, even The Walking Dead, these end-of-the-world scenarios that then involve a quest in which the, the characters have to head out and save the world. That That's what I'm thinking. And what Joe Hill does instead is is not do that. He doesn't go macro. He goes very micro. And I really appreciated that that swerve. And maybe it wasn't a swerve. It was just my expectations running counter to what the, the novel actually was. And maybe some people are going to be disappointed at that, that you don't get this sweeping grand adventure like The Last of Us, um, the, the video game. Um, but in, instead what you get is a very, very small stakes novel uh, really about um, this main character, um, Harper, who is a school nurse that happens to um, find out that she's pregnant and infected with the dragon scale. And it's really just about her life. It's not about her trying to find the cure for it or stop the, the evil bad guy. It's really about her just trying to live in this world while she's pregnant with this um, infection. And I really admire the fact that that was the, the perspective that, that he took. And uh, what winds up happening with this particular character is she finds herself at a summer camp that has been turned into a shelter of people that are infected, hiding from uh, you know, the, the, the world that is trying to exterminate them. So there's our conflict. They're, 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 they're hiding from people who aren't infected, who are afraid of becoming infected, because honestly, who wants to burn up? But these people have learned to live with the, the, the dragon scale in a very, very clever way. So it's very small stakes. It, and I really appreciate that because we don't always see that in our post-apocalyptic fiction. I wouldn't even call it post-apocalyptic because it doesn't take place after the apocalypse. There really is no apocalypse. What I liked here is that we, we see that our, our structures that we have in place on a societal level still are functioning, not to their fullest extent, but it shows that these structures are strong enough to withstand uh, an end-of-the-world scenario. So basically, even though people are bursting into flames and people are scared and things like Google don't exist anymore. If you call 911, you're going to get a response. So I, I like that. I like this particular examination of the world 
falling apart but not ending. Uh, not the way that it does in the stand. Um, this is a different look uh, and it's it's a unique look that you don't really find in your 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 apocalyptic fiction all that often. So it again, even though he is treading in well-worn territory, he's finding new paths to take us down. And the, the, it's a path that I enjoyed walking upon. Also, something called, you know, it's called The Fireman. Misleading. It's a misleading title. You think that's going to be about him, and I understand why, from a marketing standpoint, you would call it The Fireman because... There's something mysterious about this this figure who's able to control the flame, uh, rather than having the, the 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 spore just engulf him in flames. So you think that he's going to be, and I'll talk I'll talk more about this when in the character section. But it's not about this character, and what you expect of this character is not what you get. So he so Joe Hill completely subverts our expectations in a way that I found very very charming, and uh, very unexpected. And so. Again, what you might be expecting from this novel is not what he's going to give you, but that is not reason to outwardly just discount it because what he gives you is pretty golden. So the first section is the main character, Harper, who is a school nurse um, and is married. And I'll talk about Jacob in a little bit. So she's living a normal existence and we learn that she's someone that just wants to help other people. And she volunteers at a hospital to help people with the dragon scale. She winds up getting infected. The world is burning around her. Um, and for reasons, well, I'll just get into it. Um, her husband, turns out, is not as good a guy as she would like to believe that he is. He starts to go insane from the paranoia of trying to avoid being infected uh, and he ultimately tries to kill her. She is able to escape. She is rescued by the fireman and uh, other characters who take her to this summer camp. And then from there, the bulk of the story takes place in this summer camp and how she finds some sort of peace there. She is accepted by the people there. The people there have learned to live with the dragon scale. They realize that um, the, 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 the spores that the, cause the dragon scale, this fungus, they, if you are anxious and you are frightened and you think that you're going to burn, the, the spore is going to react to that and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you are able to just go with it and kind of surrender control, you are then able to, to control it and they're able to do it together as a group and then we start to get some elements that we have seen from Cell, but not as creepy. Um, and Tommyknocker is not as creepy as first, but there's this almost hive mind where when you sing, you are able to create a, a pacifying nature to the spore and you sort of plug into this hive mind and it brings about euphoria and almost group think, which of course, if you're going to, introduce this element, you are going to fully explore that element. And as we know from groups of people, groups of people tend to not bring out the best in each other. And of course, this goes sour when the head of the, the, the community um, is, is, um, is almost murdered. And uh, a, a paranoid, unstable usurper takes control and from there, things just get poisoned. And then we get um, hundreds of pages where we see the, the dark version of, of what this can be. And then after uh, it all goes to hell, when the, the, the corruption just rots it through, uh, this happens at the exact same time when the external forces discover where they are led by the uh, equally mysterious Marlboro man when it, with his right-hand man being uh, Harper's ex-husband, who is now a lunatic at this point that just wants to murder everybody. Uh, Harper and her, her friends, they then hit the road, um, as ridiculous as it sounds, to get to Martha Quinn's Island, 
yes, Martha Quinn, the Martha Quinn, the MTV uh, VJ from the 1980s. Such a specific, random detail that I can't help but love it. And then the final 100 pages of them just trying to get there. Um, so you have your pre-Camp Wyndham, your Camp Wyndham when everything is good, Camp Wyndham when everything is bad, and then on the road. So it's chunked up into different, almost different mini-novels um, that, that give it uh, freshness and different flavoring, which, so every time you're reading it, you're, you're getting something new. And it works. It works for the novel. Um, and just through it all, Joe Hill weaves in the tension just masterfully. So again, spoilers on, uh, you get these questions, these hooks that, that draw you in and, and keep making you want to read. Who is the thief? And we're talking, again, very, very small scale. Once she is in the Camp Wyndham summer camp, there is a thief, and you start to wonder who is the thief? Who is taking these personal belongings to everyone else in the camp? Is Jacob going to find Harper? That is hanging over the, the narrative like a guillotine, the entire story. When everything goes wrong, when they try and bust out a couple of prisoners to bring them back at camp and Father Story is put in the hospital, um, then the question is, it becomes a whodunit. Who tried to kill Father Story? Throughout the novel, we have a character by the name of Harold Cross, and I'll definitely get to that in a little bit. But he has his journal. He has been killed previously to the events of Harper coming to um, Camp Wyndham, but the inclusion of this character and his journal makes you just wonder what is the significance of Harold Cross. There has to be a reason for it. The fireman's uh, the love of his life uh, the, the, the mother of two of the, the, the supporting characters, Nick and Allie, there's a mysterious nature to her death, and the question is, what happened to her? What happened to Sarah's story? So trying to find out the truth of that is something that causes the reader to continue to, to go back to the story. How will Harper survive the growing threat of the summer camp community? So at Camp Wyndham, when things start going bad and everyone starts to become paranoid and everyone falls under the sway of Carol's story and it turns it into a, a, a dictatorship and everyone brings out the worst qualities um, in, in one another, the, the tension starts to rise and we wonder how Harper is going to survive this, this unhealthy world of paranoia. Um, and then we start to wonder, will Harper and her friends be able to escape Camp Wyndham before it's too late? Especially when Carol makes the threat of taking the baby away from her and exiling her. Um, that's horrific. It's a horrific, um, again, very personal stakes threat to give to this character. And the reader needs to continue to read in order to find out how it's going to be resolved. Will Harper and company be able to escape Jacob, who is pursuing them on the road? And ultimately, as they make their way through Maine, are they going to make it to Martha Quinn's Island and find the salvation that they have been promised? So there's all of these mini hooks and, and major hooks that, that continue to draw the reader further into the text. And I just got to talk, guys. There, there's these sequences that are just wonderfully written. Um, whether it's when Jacob um, comes back after he had run away from Harper earlier on in the text and he comes back and the, 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 the reader is on edge because while he had been on the phone with Harper, he just seemed unstable. And so when he shows up at her door, we are very, very worried for her safety. And rightfully so, because the, he has become a lunatic. He has been scrubbing himself raw, um, and he has a gun, and we know that he has uh, been obsessed with the idea of suicide packs and killing her. So, you know, because at this point we know that she's pregnant, uh, we are very, very worried for Harper. So that's a masterfully done scene, and, and how that resolves with her getting to Camp Wyndham. Uh, and there are... Uh, there's the sequence in which the 
Harper and the fireman go to break out two prisoners to bring them back. That is so suspenseful, and we see the extent of the fireman's powers, how he's able to create this monster demon made of fire and smoke. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And then there's the sequence in which Carol and her right-hand man, Ben, uh, they there is a an operation that, that goes badly when... Uh, they they try and raid an ambulance and it's it just goes south and then there is the the uh, the, the the time when um, they are about to try and escape from Camp Wyndham at the same time when Father Story is ultimately murdered at the same time when the Marlboro Man and his wrecking crew descend upon Camp Wyndham. And it all goes to hell. And then after that, after they get to, they're able to, to make it past uh, the, the New Hampshire border into Maine. And they're still pursued by Jacob. And then Jacob ultimately dies. And then they're just, it becomes a road story where they're trying to get to Martha Quinn's Island. And they're encountering the kindness of humanity where the, the residents of Maine, they're not interacting with them physically but they're providing food for them. They're encouraging them on their journey. They're saying that Martha Quinn's Island, um, if they continue going down this road, they're going to get there. And you start to have hope. The characters start to have hope because why would the residents of Maine leave food and encouraging encourage them to keep on going if it was just going to be a fake out? But ultimately they get on a boat and they start to make their way to Martha Quinn's Island and Harper realizes that her companions aren't waking up um, from what looks to be a nap and they've been drugged and it turns out that this has been a fake out the entire time and it's just so devastating, especially seeing as how the, the residents of Maine that were about to take them to Martha Quinn's Island were discussing with Harper the medical treatment that she's going to get for her baby just to rip that out from underneath her and say that no we're they're just going to dump her over the side in the water and just let her drown it, it it's horrific in its inhumanity and it's such a bleak ending i mean it's not where it ends but it's such a bleak moment and this is where the fireman you know he's about to have his heroic moment and he's shot in the gut and this is where he dies and he has to sacrifice himself to save the others, but then the others are just in the water and she starts to give birth. And it's just, it becomes very, very dark and harrowing, especially seeing as how we had given that, that, that little bit of hope. So the last hundred pages or so are emotionally relentless um, and hard to read. It gives us a happy ending ultimately, um, but leading up to that, it is tragic. It really, really is sad, especially seeing as how the, the, the titular fireman um, winds up having to, to sacrifice himself. So all in all, from a structural standpoint, it is very, very well paced. Um, there are all, and, and just going back to, is everything going as nicely as it seems to be going? This is, he telegraphs the ending um, because, every, you know, they, the residents of Maine are, are leaving out food and drinks for them and penicillin. That's another thing. The, the fireman is badly damaged at one point and there's like antibiotics left out for him. And why, why bother doing that? It's just, it's awful. And at one point um, there is a soured, spoiled bologna sandwich that is left out for them. So right there, the fact that uh, Joe Hill inserts that, that is to uh, foreshadow the fact that uh, not everything is as rosy as it, it, it looks like it might be. So from a structural standpoint, it is paced perfectly. It is just done so well. Um, and in terms of the writing, the, there is just beauty to the writing, of course. I mean, this is a novel dealing completely with fire. So uh, what Joe Hill does, I mean, he not only is he able to just describe fire wonderfully um, with rich, vivid uh, imagery, but... I mean, he also, he plays with it. So, for instance, um, with the, the, the mystery of Sarah's story and how the, the spores that she had been covered with take on her personality traits. And so she, there is like a fire elemental living out there. And it's almost treated at the end like a punchline um, because 
what this character is, and he even writes this, she is the fireman's old flame. Uh, and so he has a couple of these moments that are, are um, it just, he, he plays with, uh, you know, just some idioms and some common phrasing that just makes it fun to, to, to read. So the, the writing is on point, his characterization is on point, uh, the, the, the plotting works very, very well. So from a technical level, he does everything that he's supposed to do. The conflicts are, are very strong, even though, like I said, very small stakes at many, many, many of the times. Um, but they're, they're, it's, it's just done beyond competently. Um, it's done very, very well. In terms of the characters, our main character is, is Harper, who starts off the novel as, I'll, I'll admit, um, a little bit too much. Um, I don't, and I don't know if that's all by design. So this is a character, there, there's a whole Mary Poppins aspect to this character that I, I found, and this is where I just found it to be a bit much, a bit too sugary. And I understand that she has to go through an arc, and we see just how tough and badass she becomes by the end. I mean, she's not Linda Hamilton, um, you know, aliens, or I'm, whoa, whoa, sorry, sorry, big, big mistake on my part. Linda Hamilton, Terminator 2, Sigourney Weaver, aliens type of badass, but just her resiliency and her strength and her leadership qualities are, are um, definitely assert themselves by the end. So the, uh, the, the sort of bubbly sugary character is replaced with just a someone that doesn't demonstrate these 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 badass moments of action heroism but just through sheer determination um and stamina you she becomes the strongest character in in the novel but one of my criticisms for nosferatu and i can't remember the character's name but the 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 husband of the main character, and I can't remember the main character's name either, but uh, the husband of the main character, I had, um, I had criticized as being a bit too much as well. I think there are times when Joe Hill goes so specific into a character that the character winds up becoming a caricature. So with the character from Nosferatu, um, he was it was so. There were so many comic book references, it was just too much. And at the beginning of this novel with the Mary Poppins-ish Mary Poppins of it all, it's a bit too much. Um, like I said, too sugary, and I get that maybe that's the point. I just think that it tips over into um, excessiveness. Um... And that, that is, of course, brought out in the character of Jacob, who I'll, I'll get to in a minute. But I just feel as though this specificity sometimes works against Joe Hill's intent. Ultimately, Harper is a phenomenal character. I, I, I like her for her strength. I like her for her leadership abilities. I like that when others get loud, she goes quiet. And I think that this speaks to something that I had seen on Facebook about the difference between a a thermostat and a thermometer um, and which one represents who you are personally with it being that a thermometer reacts to the temperature around you whereas the thermostat sets the temperature around you and in life you are either a thermometer or a thermostat and we learn that Harper is a thermostat she sets the temperature I think it's a very appropriate analogy to be used in a story dealing with fire and temperature so Harper, you know, Harper's good and she's strong and she's quick-witted and she's thoughtful and she thinks things through and she's everything that you want out of a main character, especially all the more so because she is pregnant and she just wants the child to be okay. And the fact that she's pregnant is, you know, invokes shades of um, Joe Hill's father's uh, post-apocalyptic story, The Stand, specifically Franny Goldsmith. And I think that that is by design, as you will see shades of The Stand woven throughout, and I'll get to this in the Easter eggs and the Joe Hill, Stephen Kingisms later on, but you see these aspects of 
other works and you got to think that it's intentional. It's so on the nose. So I think that a pregnant character in the post-apocalyptic, if it worked for Stephen King, it can work for Joe Hill and it certainly does here. So what he does here is that he takes the Franny character and rather have her be one of a, a number of characters in an ensemble cast. She becomes our main character and we explore it, you know, right right through the end and um ev and and we it's just as harrowing as anything with with franny except more so because with her being the main character and not Stu or nick or, or others um the, the the burden of salvation rests firmly on her shoulders and it's not shared with the others even though the others want her definitely to carry to term and, and to give birth we are with harper the entire time we don't break from her as a character harper's a very very strong character um one that i enjoyed spending time with this now marks the the the, the second time um with uh two books consecutively in which he has given us a female as a main character both characters um have their flaws um by design, but are are strong by design as well. And I, I can't remember the main character. Why well, can't I remember the main character from Nosferatu? This is killing me. But um, you know that is a character that. And what I like is that these characters are not similar to one another. The, the main character from Nosferatu really is nothing like Harper. So he's being able to 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 create some um, some tropes of his own. Um, but create variety within those tropes, which is, uh, you know, speaks to his ability to create um, very, very strong characters. So even though I, I might complain about the Mary Poppins aspect of it, that is something that he did make a choice about. I think that it was a bit too much. And I'm not saying that he, she shouldn't like Mary Poppins. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to phrase. I just, to me the characterization teeters on characterization with those moments. And it, it is thankfully salvaged by much stronger aspects of her personality. Um, this is almost like the character, the, the, the cake itself is, is so solid and so moist. I, it's a good cake um, with, a very thick keeping of frosting and i guess my point is we don't need that much frosting for this particular cake there we go i think that works so with the fireman i had discussed this a little bit um john is a he's not what we expect shame on me because i expected this mysterious brooding savior of a character and i think that Joe Hill knows that's what we're going to expect and completely subverts our expectation. Instead, we get a uh, we get a character that loves the spotlight, loves playing up the mysteriousness of of what he can do. He's a uh, aggrandizing showboat of a character that um, is in love with himself. Um, and for some reason, he's British. So basically, the way that I saw him, I just saw him as David Tennant from The Doctor, uh, uh, just a little bit more self-involved. And that's the fireman. He's not this this giant, masculine, bulky character. He's thin, he's wiry, he's British, he's an academic, um, in love with himself. you know. And he's got really good qualities. He really does want to help the people around him, but he wants to do it in a very showboating way. And, you know, I, he his relationship with Harper is teased throughout the novel, but that's not the thrust of the novel. It's not what it's supposed to be because he's still grieving from the loss of his wife, or not his wife, but his, his girlfriend. And, um, you know, we, we want him to have a, a happy ending with Harper. We want Harper to have a happy ending with him. But this character is so beat up throughout the entirety of the novel. It's it's almost like a it's funny how busted he winds up being. He just keeps getting hurt. Like he's not strong. He just keeps getting messed up throughout the novel. And at the end it is sad as they make their way to Martha Quinn's island and he gets shot and um his future he realizes he's not going to have a future with with Harper and 
they don't really even get a chance to say goodbye. He just tells her to do um, one favor for him, and that's to live. And then he creates his phoenix, and it burns everyone up and saves the day. And it is sad. It's a very, very tragic ending. But this book, even though it's called The Fireman, it has nothing to do really with this character. He's a supporting character in his own book. It's all about Harper. But I, I just love the way that... Joe Hill um, completely subverts that expectation there. And then we get our villains, uh, Jacob and Carol and the Marlboro Man. And the Marlboro Man is, again, he, in very many ways, like the uh, fireman, we expect him to be a bigger deal than he actually is, but he's not. Um, he's someone that at, at one point is teased as having supernatural ability, and he doesn't. Um, and he's just a blowhard, you know? He's just he's just a blowhard. Um, it's Jacob who is um, the, 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 the very physical threat to the book, and we see Jacob's deterioration uh, done very, very well. He's a character that's first introduced to us after, uh, after Harper comes home from her job at school, and she had seen someone burn alive um, on the playground, and when she comes home... We see that he's very self-absorbed, he's on the phone, he is barely paying any attention to her, he's, he's kind of a dick, not a major dick, but just kind of wrapped up in his own stuff. And that's our first impression of Jacob. So the second time that we see him, uh, it's a little bit... We, he kind of... Joe Hill does a really good job at tricking us into thinking that he's a better person than than he actually is because we see him through Harper's eyes at a moment when she's at her most vulnerable after watching the hospital burn um, when characters have these spontaneous combustions and it's a chain reaction and they burn alive and the hospital burns and Jacob comes to her and he finds her. He was worried about her. We see him at what appears to be his most vulnerable emotionally. And Joe Hill gives us this amazing scene and series of sequences in which Jacob is attentive to Harper's needs, he is very romantic, he is very, very loving, and it's written beautifully with the repetition of certain phrases that just carries us aloft on this, this ultra-romantic scene, and Harper gets swept away in it, and Harper is distracted and so, by his romantic chivalry at this moment, combined with the fact that she just suffered this major tragedy. Um we see her just ha almost taken advantage of emotionally. Uh, and she just gets swept along in the moment. There's this one little bit of dialogue that almost goes unnoticed in which Jacob mentions a suicide pact, that if things continue to go south, they'll end, they'll, they'll have a very nice, peaceful ending. They'll listen to their favorite music. They'll take some sleeping pills. They'll drink some wine. They'll go out together in love with each other. And... Joe Hill doesn't spend any time thinking about it. It's just something that Jacob says. Harper doesn't harp on it. She, he, Joe Hill just continues the scene. There is a, a romantic bath. There's candles burning. There's wine. They make love. Um, it, it, it's designed to look like it's sweet and romantic, but that's that one little thing that he says, it should tip the reader that something is very, very wrong here. So then from that point forward, we start to get the real Jacob because... Harper becomes pregnant, and he turns into a, a, a dick. She gets dragon scale. He becomes awful. He becomes paranoid. Uh, he starts scraping off parts of his body because he thinks he has it, and this paranoia drives him insane. So he comes back, he tries to kill her, and then he just becomes a straight-on villain for the rest of the piece. Um, so he hangs over the story and it's just wondering when he is going to find Harper and what he's going to do for her. And, and you worry about her, you worry about, um, her, her unborn child. And it's, it's, it, it, he's a, he's a good villain, a bit cartoonish, but you understand how the paranoia of getting this dragon scale, um, turns him into a lunatic and then you see that he was just never a good guy joe hill does a really good job at, at categorizing him and, and going into detail about how he sees the world and he's this failed wannabe writer and this academic that just judges everyone around him and so he he gives us a a, a very strong um a strong characterization of who he is before 
the world starts to end. So when the world does start to end um, and, and does end, he just goes off the deep end because he didn't have a strong foundation um, to begin with as a character. So Jacob is, is, is very, very well realized as a villain. Um, I do wish, I do wish that, no, no, I mean, I think that his ending actually is, is very, very just. It's not, he's not taken out by the fireman and Harper doesn't have to, to, to take him out. Um, ultimately the, the spirit, um, a feminine spirit made of fire, um, takes him out, which I think is, is very, very just. And then we have Carol, who um, is just awful. She's just awful. And like right from the get-go, you don't trust her. And so when Father Story is out of commission and Carol takes over, you just know that things aren't going to go good. And so she represents that that type of character. And I'll get to very, very shortly um, that we've seen from other works by Stephen King, um, that that religious zealot. So we, we know what to expect there. And so she's not thinking logically and she thinks with a paranoid um, heart and um, she gets wrapped up her in, in her own ideology and her own um, belief in herself. And it's just, you know, we've seen this character before and she's a, a huge threat. So, I mean, Carol is a great villain while she's, while she's in the, in the, in the novels. Okay, guys, my, my kid's going to wake up soon, so I need to get through this next part um, as quickly as possible. So we're almost at an hour, which is which is pretty good. So we have some Easter eggs and some Joe Hillisms, Stephen Kingisms. So this is a novel that, like I had said, plays upon certain expectations that, that we have based on um, previously read post-apocalyptic stories. So... I'll get to those. And they're just littered with references to um, some of his own works and some of his father's works. The first of which pops up is a character by the name of Deep New, um, or Deep No. And as we know, this is a character that has um, popped up in two occasions in Stephen King's works, one in Insomnia and then one in the pages of The Dark Tower. So that needs, to, I, I guarantee you that that's a shout out there. At one point, a character basically says, my life for you. He doesn't quite say my life for you. I believe um, he says my life for Carol. Um, but he repeats it in such a way where it has to be intentional that he is um, stating uh, or restating, paraphrasing the, the famous line from the stand. Uh, when the characters, they when they sing their songs together, they, they, they forget themselves for a bit. They, they get on such a high that they, they only remember general euphoria and not the specifics of their own personality and at one point joe hill writes that she had forgotten the face of her father which works for uh the events of this novel while simultaneously being a very clever reference to of course the dark tower um shawshank is mentioned without being mentioned but at some point i think the fireman uh states that he wants to uh tunnel out of the place um and hide the tunnel behind uh the, the poster of a movie star so that there is referencing um shawshank the movie not necessarily shawshank the institution as uh stephen king tends to but shawshank the shawshank redemption starring Tim Robbins, that, that's definitely a reference. Um, Tom Gordon um, is referenced at one point, uh, not the not the short story, or not, not the novella, but the, the Red Sox pitcher upon which the uh, girl who loved Tom Gordon was based. Um, and the gas mask man, who was a villain in the pages of Nosferatu, is mentioned, not the character, but there is a character that has a gas mask, and he is referred to as the gas mask man. So that is definitely a reference there. Um, Nozala gets a gets a, a reference. At one point, they they're drinking this particular brand of soda, and as we know from the Dark Tower, Nozala is a substitute for Coke in alternate dimensions. I have mentioned the character Harold Cross, which is hilarious to me um, that uh, Joe Hill would be so forthright in his. Uh, in his references. Harold Cross is a character that has all of the traits of Harold Lauder, um, but of, but basically he is a literary love child of Harold Lauder and Nadine Cross. Um, it is so on the nose. I mean, and that's not a criticism. Uh, I mean, I love what he did because this is a character that is Harold in so many ways. He's, he's overweight. He 
um, judges everyone around him. He's so just hard to be around. The others hate him, but he subverts our expectations because the, the, the characters in this community do to Harold cross what the Colorado uh, free zone did not, or the Boulder free zone did not do with Harold Lauder and they just straight up execute him. You know, so I mean, it's 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 kind of humorous in 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 how they treat him, and they just get him off of the playing board before he ever becomes um, a major threat. And ultimately, the the end reveal is that Harold was was right about a lot of things. Um, Harold Cross was, but the uh, just the fact that he he named his character Harold Cross was fun. Also, we have a mute character named Nick, which has to be a reference to. Uh, um, to, to Nick uh, Andros from The Stand. Um, we, we have a character that happens to be um, pregnant um, in the post-apocalyptic world, which again, I had mentioned Franny Goldsmith. Um, Christmas Land gets a shout-out. Um, at one point, someone says something about, I can't remember what it was, but it's definitely a reference to Nosferatu. And then um, something that, that Joe Hill does, and this is more of a Joe Hillism, but what I like about him is, you know, in, in Marvel movies and a lot of movies now, there is a post-credit sequence, and Joe Hill has been doing that. So he did that with Nosferatu. He continues that here. After the, the, the thank yous and acknowledgments, he gives a little bit of a coda that I think is um, a, a nice little touch. So, Joe Hillisms and Stephen Kingisms. So we had seen Joe Hill really explore the imagery of fire um, when he wrote Horns. So you can tell that this is something that he really likes to play with um, because he follows it up here with uh, the fireman. Um, we have end of the world scenarios playing out. So we had seen end of the world scenarios in many Stephen King stories, whether it be um, the Stand, or The Mist, or Cell, or Dark Tower, um, we get that here. Um, I had stated pregnancy in the end of the world scenario. We had seen that with Franny in The Stand. We saw that um, with Susanna, <coughs> excuse me, in The Dark Tower. Um, we have the religious zealot. Um, here it's Carol, but we had seen it before in Stephen King works such as um, Margaret White and Carrie or Sylvia Pitson in The Gunslinger or Mrs. Carmody in The Midst, in Mist. Um, and then we have a character reunited with a pet. Um, this happened in The Stand with Glenn and Kojak. And here we have it with Renee and Truffles the Cat. So that was a nice little um, Stephen Kingism. So, guys, all in all, I would recommend this. I did not enjoy this as much as some of other Joe Hill works. For me, Horns and his collection in 20th Century Ghosts um, tends to, to, to stand as the pinnacle of what I think that his abilities are. Um, I need to reread um, Heart Shaped Box again, as I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, Nosferatu, I really enjoyed the second time around, but I would still hold that below Horns. And this, I, I, I think I would put um, below uh, Nosferatu. Um, and I would put uh, Lock and Key up there with, um, with 20th Century Ghosts and Horns as well. So, I mean, so this is a very good novel. Um, and even though it's not one of his best, Joe Hill Good is still better than most writers great. So I would strongly recommend it. Just make sure that you... Make sure that you understand that it's not going to be a sprawling post-apocalyptic adventure story. You are going to get a character-based, um, small-stakes novel examining interrelationships among characters, small little mysteries, um, and just very personalized stakes. Is Harper going to be able to carry her baby to term? That's really what it comes down to. It's a, a, a pregnancy end of the world scenario, and the end of the world is not as drastically end of the world as we had seen from other larger scaled um, post-apocalyptic stories. So just make sure that you understand what you're getting. I recommend it. I really enjoyed it. I couldn't put it down. It was one of those books that I couldn't wait to get back to um, when I was away from it. So strongly recommend it. I think that you guys will enjoy it. 
we're getting mixed reviews, but I wonder if those mixed reviews are because what Joe Hill gives you might run counter to what you want. So just make sure that you go in knowing what you're going to get, and I think that you'll enjoy it. So guys, that's all I got for this week. Um, so thanks for, for tuning in again. Uh, and I don't know what next next episode will entail. Hopefully I'll be able to talk about the Dark Tower trailer. Hopefully that'll be coming out soon. But in the meantime, may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. In a love-struck Romeo, you sing the streets of serenade. Laying everybody low With a love song that you made Find the convenient street light Steps out of the shade and says something like that.